Good morning. Joining me now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. I hope you are all having just a, a delightful day. It's uh, every, day is a, every day is a keeper, as uh, one in my family used to say pretty regularly. I, oh, I want to thank everybody at RCTC in Rochester for allowing me to speak at two of their events and also Prairie Lakes Audubon Chapter in Alexandria for allowing me to speak at their 6th Anniversary Gala, which um, they're all by Zoom, so it's uh, it's a different world out there. But uh, it's kind of, it's still fun. It's just different because you, you don't have that interplay with the mm-hmm. audience. It's, you can't quite feed off those wonderful folks as, as I normally would. A neighbor has begun hiding candy bars around his house. Oh, no. Uh, so that's, yeah, preparation for winter. He hides them every year around there, and then he forgets where he puts them, so every so often he finds one, and uh, he he's scatter hoarding, like a gray yeah. squirrel that buries acorns through his, throughout his territory. I've been trying to get my ducks in a row here, but now I have squirrels everywhere, so you... I should have got the squirrels in a row, I guess. I watched squirrels busily gathering food just as my neighbors gathering candy bars. And I read a while ago in 1807, the Ohio General Assembly demanded that citizens not only pay their regular taxes, but they needed to add a few squirrel carcasses to them. What? Yeah, so I I can picture myself going into the courthouse and say, here's my uh, property taxes and here's your squirrels. Why? Uh, uh, Taxpayers had to submit a minimum of 10 squirrel scalps to the town clerk each year. And I'm not sure, you know, uh, this was a while back when I read that, and uh, I I don't know if they thought they were just pests and trying to get rid of them because it didn't sound like they were bringing them in as uh, fresh squirrels or something that could still be used as food. I know Tennessee, it said, had similar laws, but if the Tennesseans couldn't find enough squirrels, they could pay in dead crows. So that's oh. what makes me think that they thought squirrels were a pest, as um, everybody pretty much back then thought crows were. So. Huh. Um, a nature walk, I talk about walking. It's my favorite reality show, and I watch northern flickers feeding on the ground. They eat a lot of ants, uh, none of which are deep fried. And Sally Seth of Cedar Rapids got a hold of me and said, you know, they ingest ant sushi. So, yeah, I guess they really are. I saw my last Baltimore Oriole of the year on September 12th, uh, Charlene Nelson of Elbow Lake. Uh, you know, what do you, I, I want to say called, but what do you call They Zoomed? Is that what you yeah, say? Yeah, they zoomed. Yeah. Yeah, and Charlene Nelson of Elbow Lake zoomed and said she was still seeing one on September 15th. It was great to hear from Charlene. Uh, jays, chickadees, nuthatches, both white-breasted and red-breasted, goldfinches, woodpeckers, finches, both purple and house. Uh, fed upon black oil sunflower seeds here in the yard. The black oil sunflower seeds are the hamburgers of the bird feeder <laughs> world. It seems like just about everything likes them. I miss seeing the swallows gathered on utility wires uh, before they're becoming snowbirds without campers. They've pretty much left here. 
I found a beautiful northern flicker feather flung in a flicker by a flicker on the lawn. Uh, warblers, I saw a couple, on, a few on Saturday yet. Uh, they're just beautiful birds looking as if they had escaped from a picture frame. And it may be fall, but Blackburnian warblers are worth getting. Warbler neck, yellow warblers, oven birds, Nashville warblers aren't very big, but they are mighty birds. Where have all the flowers gone? They've gone to hummingbirds, everyone. Uh, flowers and feeders are busily fueling the tiny birds, most of which are headed to Central America, and wings beating. I, you know, I tell kids their wings beat up to 200 times per second because they do, but it's kind of uh, misleading in a little way, so I'm going to try to stop doing that because usually those 200 times per second are during mating displays. Oh. So they're probably headed to Central America on wings beating 50 to 80 times per second, which is still... Pretty fast. You know, that's, yeah, it is. When do and the last every, hummingbirds usually come through? Because I see a lot of talk online of folks saying, I think the hummingbirds are done, or are they done? Should I bother to leave anything out? What is kind of the final date when you expect them? I, I still have them here. Uh, you know, maybe the... I've seen them in December. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, not a whole lot, but I have seen them in December. Uh, October uh, is pretty common that I see them here. I leave the feeders out, and uh, somebody said they leave them out till they don't see them anymore. I leave them about a week after I don't see them anymore. Okay. Because I just I want to I want to help them if I can. They just sit. How would they survive? Oh, yeah. You said in December. I mean, they would freeze, wouldn't they? Because you couldn't put anything yep. out for them. But so, do they die? No. Yep, they Aww. do. And you know, there must have been something wrong. And I remember one year on December third. I want to say that. When I saw one, it was the 1st of December, but I did see one on December 3rd, but it wasn't a ruby-throated hummingbird. There are some other hummingbirds that are um, a little tougher, but, yeah, it's, they aren't going to survive here. It's just uh, it's just too hard uh, for them. And I, I was thinking, you know, at that rate, how many wing beats does it take a, a hummingbird to fly from Mankato, Minnesota, to somewhere in Central America. Oh, my. And, yeah, I tried to determine that, and it gave me a math headache. Some <laughs> of you English majors, fellow English majors, you know what that's like. You just yeah. go, oh, oh, I, I just can't do this. Uh, I'm going out on a limb here, but I'm thinking it's a considerable amount. I was a bit surprised to see so many purple finches. They're a little early, uh, and I have to say once again, in these strange days, I am blessed to be a birder and to enjoy looking at things out my window. Uh, a garter snake crawled across the lawn to a secure place. Most resources suggest it's got its name because the snakes resembled garters. Huh. Uh, pieces <laughs> of, I know there's some folks that say, garters? Yeah, they were pieces of fabric fastened below the knee to keep a person's stockings from falling. Sort of like suspenders, but further down. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> and there was a National Geographic article, and again, I don't know when it was. I read it, and it stuck with me. And it, they analyzed governmental records, and they found that, oh, Ralph Lauren, Gucci, Michael Kors, and other fashion companies have had thousands of items uh, 
made from illegal wildlife products that were seized by federal law enforcement at uh, various United States ports of entries. Uh, reptiles accounted for 84% of all those items, and you can figure it'd be belts and shoes and purses and wallets and, and watch bands. I saw a bald eagle fly overhead. A friend, Dave Olerud of uh, Haines, Alaska, is the founder of the American Bald Eagle Foundation. He said that when he first moved from Minnesota to Alaska to teach, the superintendent of schools went out every weekend and shot bald eagles. So oh. things have changed a bit, yeah. thankfully. I checked on a, the busy lives on a dead tree. A dead tree is, can be a good thing. A snag is affordable housing for many creatures. The woolly bear caterpillar or woolly worm is a famed weather prognosticator. The whiter the rusty brown section, the milder the coming winter is supposed to be. The more black there is, the more severe the nearing winter. Um, truthfully, it means probably just how old the... Oh. The caterpillar is, but uh, I look at them, I become a woolly worm whisperer every year. Uh, a lot of orb weavers around, and they make my spidey senses tingle. I just love seeing those. I just hear more and more about the emerald ash borer. It's just uh, their larva kills ash trees by tunneling under the bark and feeding on the part of the tree that moves nutrients up and down the trunk. And according to the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, Minnesota has approximately 1 billion ash trees, the most of wow. any state. And the insect is confirmed. The last I heard it was in 23 of 87 counties. Do you know I, the it, number of ash trees, how that compares with when we had elm? Remember, elm was was huge do, population. Yeah. And then, of course, the elm, the what was the elm borer? Or what was it called? The elm beetle. Dutch elm disease. Yeah, and that wiped things out, and now we're kind of dealing with the same. Are there as many ashes there were elm, or did they kind of replace a lot of the elm? Yeah, I know the ashes replaced a lot of elm. Elm were so, uh, they were so apparent because so many towns used them for boulevard trees. Yes. Because they just had that beautiful shape, and you drove, and I, I was looking at some old postcards the other day of some of the local towns, and they all seem to have elms in there. And it's just, I know people would drive down them, or even back, uh, someone would have been horse and buggy days and just say, oh, what a beautiful town has all those elm trees. And I'm sure that the Dutch are so happy to have the, the disease named after them, too. That's got to be a high <laughs> yeah. point in their life, the Dutch elm disease. So I don't know the answer to that, but I, boy, we have so many ash trees. They're just everywhere you look. I just saw a monarch butterfly fly by the window here. What Aww. a cool thing. It just brightens. I, you know, the butterfly effect is a phenomenon wherein a small change in conditions can lead to vastly different outcomes. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching this monarch flutter through the yard, and I'm imagining a shingle loosened on a roof in Ooh. Pocatello, Idaho. I don't know if that works that way, but it's kind of cool to think about it. They did the uh, 2020 Minnesota it's, what is it? It's the Minnesota August Roadside Survey, I think is what it's called, the ARS. It's done by the DNR, anyway, and they've been doing it since 1955. And they have 169 routes now. They're 25 miles long, and it's surveyed August 1st through the 19th. And observers start right around sunrise, and they drive 15, 20 
15 to 20 miles per hour. So now you know who that person was <laughs> you were behind. That was just... And they recorded the number of pheasants, gray or Hungarian partridge, eastern cottontail rabbits, uh, white-tailed jackrabbits, white-tailed deer, morning doves, sandhill cranes, and other wildlife. And counts, they like to conduct them on cool, clear, calm mornings with a heavy dew yield. Those yield the most consistent results because wildlife, especially pheasants, partridge and rabbits like to move to warmer dry areas such as gravel roads hmm. and i know when i do bird counts i, I, I kind of like that because i see a lot more pheasants that way when it's a little wet grass al when you said they, they were going slowly on the roadway i thought you were going to say they were counting roadkill and that's how they got numbers of <laughs> approximate animal oh numbers my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> okay never they mind we're counting r- raccoons and skunks and possums Mm. Uh, yesterday we were up in uh, Minatrista, and driving up there and back, it was like the raccoons had fought a great battle yeah. and lost. <laughs> yes. They were just everywhere you looked. And, of course, a lot of them, if you look at them, they're fairly small. So they're the ones uh, you know, four, six months old, maybe something like that, four months old. And they're kind of out on their own, and boy, they're just not doing real well. But uh, if there's raccoon lovers, and I'm sure there are because, oh, they're cute, uh, we'll, they'll be doing okay. We'll have a lot of them. Why are they, the, they the, moving right now? Because I've seen a lot of the skunks and the possums and the raccoons. Is it the time in the fall? Do they go somewhere in is. particular? Yep. yep, it's a fall shuffle. So right now they don't have a whole lot of obligations, so they're just kind of looking around to find uh, food. Hmm. And then they're also keeping an eye of where would be a nice place to settle down for the winter. So they're attending open houses (laughs) and just checking out neighborhoods and saying that there'd be a nice tree, and when we get up in the spring, there's all kinds of food will be available, so this might be the place. So they're just... uh, They're checking out the world, the young ones, and the older ones are probably... um, doing what worked well last year for them. So they're just doing the same thing. But it still brings them across roads because where are you going to go without crossing a road? You can't go Mm. very far, and it just doesn't always work well. There's a um, pheasant index that they produce every year. They said they saw 53 and a half. I'm imagining a half a pheasant now, of course. And some of you (laughs) are too, I know. Uh, 53 and a half pheasants per hundred miles and some are you know you think well it doesn't seem like a whole lot but it increased by 42 percent from 2019 there's uh, there was favorable weather during the nesting season and that led to increased brood numbers uh, gray partridge and morning dove numbers also increased, while white-tailed deer, eastern cottontail rabbit, and sandhill crane numbers declined. Uh, white-tailed jackrabbit observations are, they continue to be historical low, and it's sadly, that's kind of the way it is with them. Uh, Jack May of Mankato sent me a photo of a leaf sandpiper from the North Shore, and thank you very much, Jack. Uh, Tim Scott from Mankato uh, sent me an article from the New York Times. It says, uh, hummingbirds live a life of extremes. The flitting creatures famously have the fastest metabolism among vertebrates and to fuel their zippy lifestyle. They do have a zippy lifestyle. That's, a, that's an excellent phrase there. They sometimes drink their own body weight and nectar each day. 
Oh, I remember trying to do that with Kool-Aid <laughs> when I was a kid. And I think I did a couple of times, but uh, the results weren't that good. But I did kind of schloss when I walked. Uh, but the hummingbirds of the Andes in South America take that extreme lifestyle a step further. Not only must they work even harder to hover at an altitude, but during chilly nights they save energy by going into an exceptionally deep torpor. A physiological state similar to hibernation, which their body temperatures fall by as much as 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Then as dawn approaches, they start to shiver, and they send their temperatures rocketing back up to 96 degrees. And Tim also sent something from the BBC about a 40-foot-tall squirrel is causing controversy after popping up in a city in Kazakhstan. It uh, was commissioned, the rodent is made from straw and wood, it's attached to a steel frame as part of an art project for a festival, and it was commissioned by the city authorities. It uh, cost 67000 American to create and was paid for in part with public funds and um, a bit of a backlash, some suggesting maybe the funds could have been better spent than a giant squirrel. But well, if it's made of own. straw and wood, I'm thinking it's a rodent haven. They will love to get in there for yeah. a little home, so maybe that that's, it'll be serve as a, a double purpose as art and shelter. Maybe that's the whole point, those <laughs> sneaky artists. They're always up to something. They're so smart. Uh, Glenda Bat of Albert Lee, who, yeah, she is a relative, uh, sent me a photo of that bald-faced hornet's nest. And bald-faced hornets are the ones that build those huge paper-gray nests that look like a basketball or a, a football. Uh, Gus Courier of Edmonds sent me a photo of a gray tree frog, and it was on a leaf, so it was a green gray tree frog. Uh, Gunnar Berg, also of Albert Lee, said migration is tapering off somewhat, but yesterday the star showed up. Uh, Parula, Parula, however you want to say it, my favorite warbler, my favorite small bird. Probably my favorite bird in our fourth photographed vireo species of the season, maybe the fifth. Definitely photographed a Philadelphia, yellow-throated, red-eye, but sometimes it's hard to sort a warbling vireo out of hundreds of photos of Tennessee warblers. A few years ago, I shot a white-eyed vireo, which was pushing its range a bit. The red-eyed vireo summer here, of course, but only the moving water brings them down to the treetops where they live and work. And thank you, Gunnar. He's a wonderful photographer. Um, having some um, health issues, so I wish Gunnar all the best. Good guy. Uh, Cindy Drill of North Mankato was visited by an American Red Start. She said, we're out for a morning walk and found our small local lake very active with hummingbirds. There's some kind of yellow flowering plant among the cattails that they were busy feeding on. Uh, Cindy has probably a spotted touch-me-not or jewelweed. Uh, she said, we have several hummingbirds in the yard right now, but this was quite a widespread presence. Familiar with the chittering sound they make, so it's easy for us to find and observe them in the reeds. I finally got a decent photo of the little warbler had been visiting my magnolia tree the past few afternoons and ID'd it as a Tennessee. A lone catbird has been showing up in the evenings. We're also having fairly regular visits by a Cooper's hawk. Earlier in the week, it dropped in from practically nowhere to nab a young goldfinch from under our feeder. Aww. And yesterday, I walked out of the house mid-afternoon and startled it on the ground on the patio. I did not see if it had a meal that time. 
the birds are not appearing to be frightened too much from it and have not abandoned the feeders. I've been having over a dozen goldfinches, some sparrows, chickadees, and morning doves to the feeders daily. After the hawk dropped in the other day, they all returned to feeding within 20 minutes. Wow. Helen Knapp of Albert Lee said, uh, I've never had so many birds devouring my mountain ash berries. And I think I, I don't remember having so many mountain ash berries as this year. It's been a really good year for them. And mountain ash is not a true ash, so the emerald ash borer should not impact them. Uh, mountain ash are fairly short-lived. Uh, Craig Mandel was at Case Lake in Watanwan County, said he saw Dunlin, Bairds, Lees, Pectoral and white rump sandpipers, a couple of greater yellow eggs, and of course, killdeer. So, a lot of great stuff to see there. I went by a pond yesterday that uh, the wood ducks were floating on a pond made green by algae. And I know some people call it pond scum. I don't. I, I've been called pond scum, <laughs> and it hurt. It, it, it was true, but you know, yeah. it still hurts. So, I just I can't call it pond scum. It, it's kind of pretty, you know, it's, it's, it's bad in a lot of ways, but it's kind of pretty when you go by this green thing and you see these beautiful ducks out there in the middle of it. So it's it's uh, it's pleasing to my eye anyway. A listener says, uh, thank you. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, what do crickets eat? Crickets are omnivores and... Uh, also, Buddy Holly's backup band. Uh, crickets are omnivores, and they eat just about anything. They eat plant decay, grass, fruits, vegetables, fungi, seedlings, insects. And some crickets, we have a number of different crickets. When they get in the house, they will, oh, you know, they might chew on a little bit of rotting fiber or paper and things like that. I they're just, you know, like so many omnivores, they eat what is on the menu uh, without whimpering about it. And they do sneak in the house. And I know when I hit the button for the garage door to go up, there's either crickets running out of the garage <laughs> or running into the garage. Apparently they shift off every time the door goes up. Some come in and some go out. And they are pretty. They're pretty singers. I like the field crickets, the black ones, um, the camel, camel crickets. Oh, they look like a cross between a, a cricket and maybe a katydid did or something. They're just kind of odd looking, but they're they're cool in a way too. So there's uh, a lot of crickets to to look at and just enjoy. Cause what else should we do with those things? We sure can't get rid of them all, and they do come in the house. What I kind of wondered. cricket was Jiminy Cricket? I, you know, I have no idea. Or was he I a Katie Did? Or is Katie Did the same? Or are they different? Nope. Katie Dids are, uh, the ones I see here are a beautiful green color. Okay. And probably mistaken for grasshoppers by a lot of people. And I remember, uh, oh, many, 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 many years ago, so it's a vague memory, of trying to find out what kind of cricket was Jiminy. <laughs> And I pretty much got the answer. Look, he's a cartoon. He's a cartoon <laughs> cricket. That's what he is. And how did you get this number? And, and don't call us anymore. That was that kind of thing. 
So yeah, sometimes you know we always I always want to find out what kind of duck Daffy Duck was and mm. and uh, why Donald Duck what kind of duck he was and why he usually wore a jacket and no pants. It didn't <laughs> seem to make sense there. If he's going to wear a jacket, he should wear pants. Right. But uh, most of these, you know, some of them you find out because Walter Lance said uh, that his was based on an acorn woodpecker in California, although, man, he sure looks like a cartoon-pileated woodpecker. I, I don't know how he can be anything else, but you have to go by Walter, what he said. He's the one that uh, he saw it on his honeymoon in a cabin. Oh. And I'm thinking he shouldn't have been looking at woodpeckers anyway <laughs> during the honeymoon, but that's what happened, so that's how he came up with the uh, the Woody the Woodpecker, I don't know if Woody's still active out there, I suppose. In somewhere. reruns. Yeah, and, and all those oh, 1,100 channels, there's probably the Woody Woodpecker channel, maybe. I don't know. In the last question I have, somebody said, how good is a turkey's eyesight? My wife always says there's one of the birds, if you walk around in the house, they, they can see you in there. They say, oh, there's that person. Uh, wild turkeys have excellent vision during daylight hours. Uh, they see color. They have a wide field of vision. And generally their eyesight is, this was written by a guy, an uh, ophthalmologist, who said he thought, they, and a and, uh, turkey hunter, he thought they were about three times better than ours. Hmm. So he said, he was talking to hunters, but he said, you might not see them but they're seeing you. They're out there, and they said, there's that guy. So their eyesight is extremely good, and they're just, I like seeing turkeys. A neighbor, uh, a friend down the road, had his little dog. Oh, I don't know what kind of. It's one of those little dogs with poo at the end of it uh, yeah. that's crossed up. That's When I was a, a boy on the farm, we called them auxiliary dogs. <laughs> <laughs> or, or pseudo dogs because we had to have those big cow dogs. Right. And he said that uh, it disappeared and it never ran before. And he said, well, "Do you think there's a gang of turkeys there? Would they have driven it away?" I don't think they would have any interest. If we went out and barked at them, they might peck it or something. But otherwise, probably a Cooper's hawk is what I'm thinking. Probably got the thing. Yeah, you know, there's uh, dogs, other dogs, uh, coyotes. Uh, yeah, or, or people. Yeah, or people. Yeah. People might have said, "Well, there's a that would be such a neat little dog for uh, for Brandon." So they would grab it, and I'm not throwing the name Brandon out there because I, I have know, any uh, suspects. It just that was the first name. That you came. know, you mentioned turkeys have good eyesight. What about deer? Because they seem like a lot of people get the deer, so they must not be seeing as well. Or what's the deal with them? Well, yeah, deer, I. I think they have pretty good eyesight. Uh, when they get hit by cars, it's because the bucks are chasing the does. So oh. they have uh, they have uh, they have different things on their mind, and it just the last thing they're thinking about is what kind of car is that coming there? Is that a Kia? And then all of a sudden, that Kia becomes killed in action because it yeah. hits the hits the deer. So uh, deer's vision is, again, this guy, I wanted to say he said it was 2,100. Oh. So it's not, 
as good as ours, except at night they could see, you know, 50 times better than we could. But a deer can sense things around, but they can't focus unless their nose is pointed so both eyes can look at you. So they have, I think, I'm pretty sure it was 2,100 visions. Okay. So it's not as good as ours in the day, but it's, uh, it's pretty good at night. I want to thank everybody for listening. It's just uh, a friend of mine uh, of long standing. We've known each other since we were pups. Al Ralph of Owatonna told me of his uh, friend who tangled with a grizzly in Montana. And he was all alone. Uh, the grizzly batted him about a bit, but for the most part, he's okay. Boy, he, oh, he's got a story to tell now. He just. People are telling stories, and he can just say, yeah, here you go. Here's the story right now, and he could tell that. The, the closest I've ever come to that is being chased by a large beaver in Montana on the Missouri River. <laughs> I was canoeing along. I saw this beaver, and I went over, and I took a bunch of photos because it was really cool, you know, in that, I'm in that canoe and get close. And I was taking photos until it slapped the water with that tail and it cracked like a whip, and it echoed through all the, the cliffs along the river. It was just, I heard this slapping over and over. And so I left, but I returned because I thought I needed one more photo. <laughs> you folks know how that is. I, I don't know. I should go back. Oh, look, he's posing perfectly. And I learned that the first rule of photographing a peeved beaver is to take one less photo than you think you'll need. <laughs> If my canoe had had heels, the beaver would have been nipping at them. And I think my whimpering and sobbing saved me. And maybe the, the fella in Montana with the bear found that that works on a bear, too. So, Thank you, everybody, for listening. I enjoyed your company. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And thank you, Karen, for your fine company. And it was so great uh, to hear of... Uh, you spending time with young pollinators. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So, I did this I past weekend. You. I had a chance to talk with what are called 4-H pollinator ambassadors, and these are just kids from around the state who are interested in making things better for our pollinators, including the endangered rusty patch bumblebee, which is our state bee. So very cool and so excited that there's young kids to take over for when us old folks move along. Kids got it going on. They... Um, they are sharp, and uh, you know, every generation we want to say, what's wrong with the kids today? Why can't they be like we were, perfect in every way? <laughs> oh, folks, the kids today are so, they're so good. It's they are really wonderful. Incredible. Hey, Al, thank you so much. We'll chat with you next week, all right? Thanks, Karen. Bye, everyone. All right, bye-bye.